a little bit about the pleasure of sin, the pleasure of sin. And so let's go into our Bibles and let's look around and see what the scripture is trying to teach us tonight about the pleasure of sin. Uh, Although sin initially appears to be attractive, sin usually appears to be attractive. Ultimately, righteousness produces a greater reward. So when we look at sin, the attractiveness of sin is because we, we're, it's attractive to us because of what we think it will do for us, how it will satisfy us, the reward we will get from it. But ultimately, righteousness produces a greater reward. And so we'll talk about those things. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. Love this passage of scripture. Always intrigued me. This passage of scripture always intrigued me because it's, 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 it's very interesting. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And so those three passages of scripture there is telling us the main theme there is Moses choosing to go through suffering as opposed to enjoying the pleasures of sin. And it talks about the reward. The reward he could have gotten in Egypt. Or the reward he could get for obeying God. There's a story that I read about. That I thought was pretty funny. But make a lot of sense. Uh, two construction workers took lunch together one day. And they both went aside and sat down and they opened up their lunch box to get their lunch. And the one construction worker said, oh, no, not bologna sandwich again. This is the third time this week bologna sandwich. I am so sick of bologna. I eat bologna all the time. I'm just I just can't do it anymore. Every week it's at least three times a week. Bologna sandwich. I don't know. The other construction worker replied and said, well, tell your wife to make something different. Just tell her to make something else. His reply was, I don't have a wife. I made these bologna sandwiches. And so he had to stop and realize that all of these bologna sandwiches he complained about, he was the one that made them. Hmm. But he was complaining about them. There's a lot behind that story. The first thing I'm going to tell you is a lot of the bologna that's in our life, we created them. We like to look around and we like to blame, but most of the bologna that's in our life, we are the creator of those bolognies. And so there's no need to blame anybody else for what you have discovered and what you got tired of and the mess that's in your life. You just got to realize, you know, 
I'm probably the one who created all that mess in my life, all that baloney in my life. I I, kind of did that. Most of the balonies in our lives, we put them there ourselves. And so another thing that you can learn from that story is when we get into a routine, good or bad, it's hard to break away from that routine. Dude is making bologna sandwiches every week. Dude, all you got to do is go to the supermarket and just buy turkey. Buy some ham or whatever the case may be. But he wouldn't. Lord knows why. I don't know if he just, the bologna store, the place that sell bologna was closer to the house. And if he had to get turkey, he would have to drive a little ways. The point is, he could have done differently. He could have purchased something else. He could have purchased a different kind of meat. But he just kept on doing what he's always done because it's hard to break your routine. And so tonight, I'm going to try to challenge you to break your routine. Yes. Because the only way we're going to see different results is if we break the routine we're in. We get frustrated with God, and that's the wrong person to be frustrated with. Whatever he says, it will come to pass, but we have to do our part to make that happen. And so a lot of times we don't want to break routine because we're comfortable with our routine. And God is saying, in order to see the promises that I promised, you're going to have to do what I say. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to break free from our routine. Even when it's bad for us, it's hard to break free from our routine. So think about when it's pleasurable to us. How hard that's going to be to break from our routine. So bad routines are hard to break away from and pleasurable routines are even greater to break away from. The, 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 the common factor there is our routines are very difficult to break away from. So how do we break away from these routine of pleasure? Or these routines of things that we know could be detrimental to our life, but yet and still, we're still doing them. We know that this is not good, but we still do it. How do you figure we're going to break away from it and change something? Hmm. The Word of God offers us insight in the quest. And, and where the word of God offer us insight is the life of Moses. The scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 through 26 was talking about Moses' life. Moses' life. That, that's what it was talking about. Moses' life. Talking about Moses decided, you know what? I will suffer afflictions. As opposed to go and, and, and be with the Egyptians and, 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 and have all this pleasure. I will suffer with the Jewish people than to go and, and, and just enjoy all the pleasures of life. 
And so what made Moses get to that place where he could make that kind of determination that he can do that? Let's look at Moses' life for a second. Moses' life begun, understand how Moses came on the scene. Understand how Moses came on the scene. How did he come on the scene? The children of Israel was in Egypt in slavery. And so as the children of Israel was in Egypt in slavery, they prayed to God and they asked God for a deliverer. They said, God, we need a deliverer. For the Egyptian has enslaved us and now they're making us serve with rigor. And so they're in this bondage. They're in control of the, the children of, 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 of the Egyptians and the children of uh, God are just tangled up and they have to serve the Egyptians. And so finally God told them, I'm going to send you all a deliverer. You're in slavery, but I'm going to send you a deliverer. When Pharaoh heard that God was going to send a deliverer to the children of Israel, he decided to send a decree out to kill all newborn babes. Can you imagine that? He wanted those people to stay in bondage so bad that when he got word Oh, they're not going to stay in bondage for the rest of their life or for the rest of your life, Pharaoh. They're going to be delivered and the deliverer is going to be born soon and he's going to grow up and be the deliverer. And so Pharaoh got word. He says, well, the only way to stop that plan is to kill all the newborns. And so that's what they were doing. And we know the story. Moses' mom took him and put him in a little ark and put him on the river and the ark just flowed and all of a sudden end up where Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath. And Pharaoh's daughter had just some kind of compassion on him, took him in and adopted him. Now, just that little piece right there. How could we ever doubt God? Just think about that for a second. At that time, the nation of Egypt was the superpower. And they had these Jews under control, slavery. And when they found out that there's going to be someone that can come and deliver the Jews out of their hands, they said, oh, no, that's not going to happen. I can see the Lord smiling when they said, oh, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to kill all these children. And the, all the children that they killed, the one that was the deliverer was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was the one that gave the decree, kill all the children. Tell me, how is that possible? How is that possible that you had this plan? We're going to kill all the Jewish kids because we don't want the deliverer coming. And the one that was the deliverer was raised in your very own home. How is that possible? So we know the almighty God did that. So what are we worrying about when things are not working the way it needs to work? 
I'm, I've been living for God just enough to know when God says something and it's not working the way he said it will work, it's a setup. He is going to get his way. And what he says is going to be done, it will be done. So it's kind of funny now when God speak a word to us and it's not happening the way God said it would happen, you just sit back and say, oh, this is pretty special now. What is God up to now? We got to get that in our brain. What is God up to now? And so poor Pharaoh thought he had it all under control. And the Lord just smiled and said, look how good I am. I'm just going to let this kid be raised up in your very own house because I need him to be smart. I need him to be intelligent. I need him to be sharp. I need him to be very good because he's going to be leading five to seven million people out of slavery. And I need him to be sharp. So I need him to get the best education. Oh, God. Here go Pharaoh thinking he's going to kill this kid. And this kid is getting the best education, the best teaching, so he can do the work of God. (laughs) And so Moses grew up in Pharaoh's very own house. Hmm. A person might think such things. Check this out. Consider the benefits of being adopted and being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was no doubt given the full right and benefit of a son and as such enjoyed the pleasures of living in Pharaoh's house. Can you imagine living in Pharaoh's house? Gold this, gold that, everything. You had servants waiting on your hands and feet. I mean, everything was good. You would think all of that good stuff happening to Moses, Moses would want to be there for the rest of his life and enjoy that good life. Me and you might not be like Moses. We get that kind of treatment. We might feel like this is the life. Bless God. This is the will of God that I stay here. This is going good. I don't need anything. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. Don't be jealous. Don't be a hater because God is blessing me. That's kind of how we would look at it. But that's not the way Moses looked at it. Listen to this. This is a very important statement. Who you are or whose you are will have significant impact on your life. Who you are. Or whose you are will have, I mean, significant impact on your life. You'll see. Although Moses' upbringing afforded him the opportunity to be trained by world-class experts in nearly every discipline, Moses was a Hebrew. There was no way for us to know how much of an impact this had on Moses right off the bat of him being a Hebrew, being raised up in an Egyptian home. But we see and we will see that Moses, no matter what happened, Moses knew he was not an Egyptian, even though he dressed like an Egyptian. Moses spoke like an Egyptian and lived in Egypt, but he knew he was a Jew. (laughs) 
What are the things that influences and shape our life? Is it nature? Is it our experiences? Is it the environment that we're raised up in? It could be. These are some factors that could shape our life. It could be. Is there a possibility that Moses' understanding of who he was is what ultimately shaped his life? Hmm. We'll get into that in a little bit. The Bible clearly establishes who we are. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul is telling us that we, we, the people of God, don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to God. The first thing I want to talk to you about tonight is understanding who you are, that if you've been born again of the water and of the spirit, if you are a part of the church, you have to know. Can I tell you this? Everything God created, the church God purchased. Everything in this world God created, but when it came down to the church, he purchased it with his blood. What it means is we are so special to God. We are so privileged that God is saying we're so, so, so relevant to him that he's saying I will do whatever it takes to make you mine. And so God purchased us. So every person that repent of their sins, get baptized in Jesus' name, that are filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, you become a part of the church. And God is saying, I purchase you. You are mine. We got to let that sink in a little bit. That we belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to the Almighty God. And if that is what you are, if that is your identity, if that's who you are and whose you are, then that should make all the difference in the world how you carry your life. How you order your life. Whose we are is foundational to establishing what we will do. Whose we are is foundational to establishing what we will do. I can give you a Bible. I just preached the other day when, when Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil because the works of your father you do. Don't get quiet on me now. So usually the decisions that we make whether we're under pressure or not under pressure, it is coming from a place of who are you? Whose are you? And so that will tell you what kind of individual you are according to who you belong to. What's your family tree? What 
Are you? Are you a born-again believer? Are you just another person walking around in the world without Jesus? The decisions you make will determine who you are. Hmm. That's important. Hmm. Paul laid claims to the fact that we are not our own. Instead, we are God's. And as such, we are not left to decide what we will do and, and, and what we will do and how we will act. Quite to the contrary, we are God's and such we are to glorify God in all that we do. So because we belong to God, every decision we make, it should be a decision to glorify God. It should be a decision to honor Him, if you will. Mm-hmm. It would seem this knowledge of who we are or whose we are starts with what, how Moses made some decisions in his life. Remember, Moses was raised up in Pharaoh's house. However, when he was a babe, he was nurtured by his real mom. So, when Moses was drawn out of the water by the, the helpers of uh, Pharaoh's daughter, she adopted him, but she had asked his sister, didn't he? she didn't even know, asked Moses' sister, which one of the Hebrew women you think could be a nurse unto him? And Moses' sister said, how about, and said his mom named Joshabed. And so, every day... Moses was, as a babe, with his real mom being nurtured. The songs of God probably was being sang to him. He felt the presence of God flowing from her. He was in a situation where he was being touched by the power of God, and he was being nurtured by a godly woman. And so, that was in Moses. Not to mention his DNA of just who he is uh, who he was born to, all of that was in Moses. And so we read Moses saw an Egyptian fighting a Jew. And the Egyptian was getting the best of the Jew. And without even thinking, Moses rushed over and killed the Egyptian, and rescued the Hebrew man, the Jewish man. That tells you all you needed to know about Moses and his upbringing. He may have thought, hey, I'm flowing with the Egyptians. I live in an Egyptian house. But when the rubber met the road and it got tense and it got tight, Moses, just without even knowing, went and rescued who he believed was his very own. It is not right in the eyes of God that we ever fight against another Christian. We can't begin to criticize other Christians and we can't begin to make our brothers and sisters in Christ look bad. Think about what Moses did. He went and killed an Egyptian to spare his Hebrew brother's life. 
Now, God is not telling us to go kill anybody, but it should mean we should come to the defense of our brothers and sisters in Christ like this. We shouldn't be going against our brothers and sisters. We should come to their defense because that is of God. And that tells us who we are when we come to the rescue and we come to the defense of our brothers and sisters in Christ because that is what God expects from us. And so Moses went and did it. I can, today, coming from work, I was just meditating and driving. And I went to the barbershop today, and they were talking about dominoes. And I sat there quiet and listened, 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 listened. But I, I, you know, stuff starting to just get a hold of me because I'm listening. And I said, these are American people talking about dominoes. They just learn a little bit. Most of them can't play. They can just match. And so I'm there like, and so finally I had to say something. And then they, 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 yeah, you Jamaican, you know, dominoes. But being a Jamaican, there's certain things. As soon as I encounter it, I can't help but to respond. If I run into somebody, they speak Patois right away, either I'm going to talk to them or somehow there's some connection going on because there's something that just happened within me because there's somebody else. And I'm sure that happens for everybody. Wherever your identity is from, wherever you were brought up, whatever country you're raised in, there's something that happens when you run into that person or those people. There's something that clicks because you got a lot of things that remind you of that whole upbringing. Well, think about that in the natural and then think about it in the spiritual. Who are you as a Christian? Who are you in the spiritual? Do you do the same thing as a Christian like you do in the natural from when you run into somebody that's just like you, who were raised like you, who were brought up like you, and went through the same kind of things like you? Do you have that quick just response like you would in the natural? Sometimes we run into people and just even in American culture and people are raising, you know, say they were raising a project. Yeah, man, I was in the projects too. And all of a sudden they can talk all day. Why? They can identify. We do that very well in the natural. What are we doing in the spiritual? What are we doing in the spiritual? Nothing can shape the fact that Moses was not an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. It didn't matter what kind of clothes he put on. It didn't matter what kind of language he spoke. In his core, deep down, who he was, was a Hebrew. For us as Christians, what's going to not make you be a Christian? What is it that you're, you're, you're connected with? How, what kind of lifestyle you're affiliated, associated with that Christianity just don't come out of your poor? Godliness just don't come out of you. What is it that's stopping that from coming out of you? We are gods. Hence our knowing that the things that we do should be of God. We cannot allow worldly systems and worldly thinking to become our way of thinking once you get God. You know, I was thinking about this. I said, maybe some of us, when we got saved, we didn't get nurtured in God. 
Moses got nurtured in God. So, he, he, you know, maybe we didn't get nurtured in God. And so that's not our natural response of, of coming from a Christian position. Our natural response is still from the flesh because we never got nurtured as a Christian, but we got nurtured in natural. And maybe that's the case. But if that's the case, I'm telling you, we need to get nurtured. Mm -hmm. We need to understand what the pleasure of sin can do to us. How sin is pleasurable, and if we don't allow ourselves to be who we are, and we don't really rest on who we are, then the pleasure of sin will seem more attractive to us than who we are to come out of us. Yes? Why is pleasure something humans will do almost anything to experience? The pleasure of sin is short-lived. Somebody say that with me. The pleasure of sin is short-lived. Its pleasure is fleeting. It means it's brief. It doesn't stay long. It's here today, gone tomorrow. It appeared that Moses understood the fleeting nature of pleasure. He realized that. And when you understand that pleasure don't last long, the pleasure of sin don't last long, it helps you to make the right decisions. Yes? Hmm. All right. Many sins are appealing because they are pleasurable. Here's the proof. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 states, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took up it and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So the reason why she ate was because it looked good to her. It seemed like it was pleasure. Her eyes said, man, that's pleasurable. And that's what made the woman go after the fruit. She didn't go after it because it was just sitting there. It wasn't that she was hungry. She didn't need it, but it looked good to her. And that's why she go and went and got it. Whatever we did wrong, don't say the devil made me do it. Just said it had looked good to me. And that's why I did it. I thought it was going to be pleasurable. So I did it. All the sin we commit is because we thought it was going to serve us in a pleasurable way, and so we did it. Every sin we committed, we committed because we were looking for pleasure, and so we went after it, and we did it, and we probably got pleasure out of it. It wasn't the devil. Go back to Eve. She'll tell you that thing looked good. And Adam... He thought it looked good too because when she gave it to him, he didn't say, girl, what you doing? We shouldn't be, he ate it too. So it must look like pleasure to her and to him. The allure of the first sin was the fruit looked tasty, pleasing, or pleasant to the eyes. Sin is 
an allure because it looked good, it seems tasty, and it is pleasurable to the eyes. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, I'm learning a little bit. You get a little bit of age, you start learning a little bit. And when man and woman is trying to hook up, right? A man look at a woman, look good, seems tasty, and pleasurable. When a man see a woman, what he see at that point is all he's thinking about. I'm telling you, ladies. When a man see you, he's not thinking about how smart you are. He's not thinking about if you can cook. He's not thinking about what kind of job you got. He's not thinking about the kind of car you drove. He is just looking at you. And if you are pleasurable to him, that's all he's thinking. Let me get the woman. Women, when you see a man, here's how you look at him. Not bad, but I, I'm going to need him to be able to do this. I'm going to need him to be able to do that. And you run with thinking that you're going to get him to do this. And you're going to get him to do that. And you're going to get him to do that. And no, that's not the case. And so now, here is how relationships have problems. The man don't really realize how women are just different. And when, when they start showing the other part of who they are, whether it's, I don't know, you know how women start thinking, I can do that and I can do this and she can put up the wallpaper and you trying to do something and she say, hold on, let me show you how to do that. And she coming up with all her creative, her creativity and you're like, girl, go sit down somewhere. That's what he's thinking because now he's seeing that side of her that he never saw because all he saw was what he saw. And so now she's doing all this other stuff. And he's like, hold on, that's just too much. Ah, that's too much. You got too much going on. I didn't bargain for all of that. So he frustrated because that's just too much. He just wanted what he saw. And then the woman, can you take the garbage out? I didn't say I was taking no garbage out. What I saw was all I want. I don't want you telling me what to do. Because in her mind, she thought, yeah, I can get him to take the garbage out. He don't look like he do a lot of work around the house, but I think I can get him to do some work around the house. I am telling you, man, I, I watch and I let God teach me and I learn these things. I'm just like, this is crazy. And this is how we get, get in a relationship. And it's crazy because both of us went in with different perception. And now when the, when the stuff is start happening, we're like, oh, no, that's not what I bargained for. Too late. You're going to have to learn each other and figure out your way through all of this because that's relationship. Yes. And so Eve, her deal was, ooh, look good. And she did it. Moses, on the other hand, did not allow the pleasures of sin to keep him from doing what was right. So we have two, we have a contrast here. Eve saw it. And said, yeah, I'm getting that. Moses looked at having a great life, being an Egyptian, an adopted kid, and suffering with the Jews and chose, I'm going to suffer with my people. What made Moses choose that and what made Eve choose that? And you want me to tell you what I came up with today? Moses was nurtured, Eve wasn't. 
Moses was taught. Moses was nurtured by his mom about the things of God. Who he is. Here is who you are, Moses. They're going to put you among these Egyptians. And guess what? They're going to help your life to be great. But that's not who you are. You are a Jew. You are a Hebrew. Learn that and never forget that. Moses got that. Eve didn't get that. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain, knowing how men are and just reading that story so many times, I'm sure Adam said to Eve, listen, girl, God told us we can eat of every tree in the garden except for that one. Don't even go close to it. I don't even want you going close to it. Just, just anything else you want, just don't mess with that. And that's when Satan came and talked with her. But Moses, I don't, I, I, but I don't think Adam took Eve in and says, honey, before you came, me and God walked every day. Me and God talked every day. Me and God had this relationship. And here's how you need to deal with God, honey. I don't think he went through all of that. That's just my opinion. He'll tell me when I get to heaven. But I don't think he did that. So I don't think Eve was ministered to. I don't think she was nurtured. But Moses was nurtured. So Moses knew who he was. And so when the rubber met the road, Moses allowed what was in him to come out. But when the rubber met the road for Eve, she did not have the right thing flowing out of her because her husband didn't nurture her. He didn't talk to her. He didn't take her through the plan. He didn't explain to her what it means to be a child of God. Yeah, I believe that's what happened. Yep. Moses did not fall for it. It appeared one of the reasons why we are prone to choose the pleasures of sin as opposed to the alternative is because we focus on the immediate. When we focus on the immediate as opposed to the long term, we end up sinning. That's powerful what I just said. It might seem like just, but go back and look at all the decisions you made that was wrong as a Christian. Forget about before a Christian. Just go back and look at all the mistakes you made as a Christian and see what it was. You desired what you thought was immediate reward. Immediate satisfaction, immediate relief, immediate deliverance, immediate something. And that's what you desired and you made that decision because you wanted something immediately. Go back and look. And so we make these bad decisions and here's what we're not doing. I read this today. Jesus was born... And raised in his mom and daddy house. 30 years he spent with his mom and dad. Three and a half years he did ministry. Why am I telling you that? You're going to go through a longer stretch of doing nothing than doing something. So the, 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 the point I'm trying to make is stop making decisions because of immediacy. Because what God wants to do in your life is going to take some time. It's going to take some shaping and molding. It's going to take some you going through. And when he uses you to do something, it won't last that long. So don't make your decisions based off of immediacy. 
Can you imagine if that's what Jesus did? Can you imagine the day that Jesus' parents came back and realized he was in the temple teaching? Can you imagine the day he would have got mad and says, my parents know what I'm up to. I came into this world to die for this world. I came into this world to, to show them what it's all about. And while my parents get on my nerve, you know what, man? I'm just going to live with my, my aunt. I'm going to live with Elizabeth and John the Baptist. Because they know what's up. They know who I am. And here she go getting on my nerve. I'm just going to live with my Aunt Elizabeth. Can you imagine that? Because that's how some of us do. It's not working out right now. So I need immediate, immediate response. I need something to happen right now. So if nothing is happening right now, I'm going to figure out another way. So something will happen immediately. Usually when we want that is sin. Because that's not how God operates. Moses had two choices. One choice was pleasurable and the other result in suffering. Yet Moses chose suffering instead of pleasure. Why? An influencing element according to Hebrew 11 is that Moses was able to look beyond the immediate. If we're going to make godly decisions, we have to look beyond the immediate things. We can't just look at the immediate things. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Looking beyond what's immediate is called faith. Looking beyond what's immediate is called faith. When you look at the immediate things, it means you're not operating in faith. When you're looking at the immediate response in which you can get out of it right away, there is no faith operating in your life. You are operating in your flesh and not according to your knowledge of who God is and what God has promised. And that's why you're operating out of immediacy in your flesh. But if you will operate in faith, you will look beyond and say, I'm not worried about what's going on right now. I'm looking beyond because I know who God is and what Whatsoever God says, it has to happen. I'm not looking at what's going on right now. How else are we going to get to heaven anyway? Because there's a scripture that talks about, the scripture says, we're looking for the Lord to come and we keep on saying, where's the promise of the Lord? Where's the promise of the Lord? And some people have gone back into the world and living in sin because God has said in his word a long time that he will return. And many of us are walking around like, Man, if God said he's going to come and he hasn't come yet, it means he's not coming for a while. Let me go live a whatever kind of life I want to live. Okay. Remember I told you, sin keep you longer than you expected it to keep you. And so if you want to go dibble and dabble a little bit, because you don't think God is going to come back right away, when you think that he's coming back, because if you thought he wasn't coming back, you're going to have a time where you think he's coming back. Watch the world. As soon as something big happens, you think we're in the end of the world? You think it's the end time? Soon as something happened, planes hit the tower. Oh Lord! You think something getting happened? Boys shooting up the Columbine. Oh, you think oh, the one up in Connecticut? Every time something stupid happened, here we go. Is this the coming of the Lord? What if I tell you, yes, this is the coming of the Lord? Are you going to change your ways? Probably not, because when you play with sin long enough, it grab a hold of you, man, and it won't let you go. 
And you will know I got to get out of this sin, but somehow you just can't. Our struggle with choosing right gets complicated when we begin comparing immediate pleasure with the immediate alternative. And so we have to make sure we don't get caught up with the immediate pleasure and we think about the alternative. The alternative Moses thought about, he said, you know what, I would go ahead and suffer with my people, with the people of God. You realize he didn't say, I'm going to suffer with the non-people of God. This is why the church has been established. This is why we come together. Because when we are people of faith and we're living for God, we're all dealing with the same thing. We're all experiencing the same thing. We're all going through the same things. And so when we come together, we understand whatever we're going through, we're going through for the sake of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's because we're not in the world. That's why we're going through it. Remember I told you God spoke to me some time ago and told me, he says, Wayne, you're going through all of this because of me and I can tell every one of you whatever you're going through you're going through because of God if you didn't know who God is and trying to live for God you wouldn't be struggling with anything you'll just be going with the flow and doing everything everybody's doing which means everything will just be all right but it's because of God why you're struggling it's because you're trying to please him and not just go with the flow. So as Christians, we're all suffering and struggling because this world is not conducive to living a, a life that is so just enjoyable and fulfilled. God wants us to live in this world, but to not be as like this world. And that's not easy. But if we keep doing it, it will become easier. Yes. We must not be consumed with the, immediate with the immediate gratification of our flesh. Instead, we must recognize the value of eternal life. We have to recognize the value of eternal life. What we do, we have to look at the eternal reward and not worry about the immediate pleasure or satisfaction. Not only did Moses reject the immediate allure of sin and pleasure, he also rejected the pleasure that were sure to come. So, when Moses said, I'm going to take care of my fellow brethren, my Hebrew brother, you know what Moses was doing? This is something heavy here that we never thought about. He was trusting God with his future. When Moses decide, decided that, you know what? I'm going to defend my fellow brother so this Egyptian don't take advantage of him. Moses didn't stop and say, but if you do that, you're going to... No, he just responded in the way he felt like he needed to respond because of who he was. But he was giving up a lot. Because... Once you did that, you know how people are. They didn't have Facebook back then, but I'm sure the word started spreading. You know what? He Hebrew anyway. That's why he did that. And so he defended his Hebrew brother and he killed that Egyptian. And right away, word got back to Pharaoh. Moses killed an Egyptian and Moses had to be on the run ever since then. This is what we never thought about with Moses. 
Moses was going to be the next Pharaoh. We didn't think about that. He was in line to be the next Pharaoh. He got raised up in Pharaoh's house. He went to all the great schools. Moses was getting ready to be the next Pharaoh. And by him committing that act, by joining with his brother and saying, you're not killing my brother. You're not beating up my brother. I'm defending my brother in Christ. By him doing that, he now gave up the whole throne that he was going to get in Egypt. He wasn't making no small decision. He was making an eternal decision. He was making a decision that was going to be life changing for him. And so he killed that man and he had to run for his life. But guess what? He trusted God and that's why he made that decision. Who he was is what came out of him. <laughs> he trusted God. Hmm. Moses made a determination that he was going to trust God with his life as opposed to trust Pharaoh and Pharaoh leadership and Pharaoh's house with his life. Now stop and think about that. Ruler of all Egypt, riches and everything. That's easy to say, I know they got my back. Donald Trump's son trusts Donald Trump. My daddy's been a millionaire all his life. He's got this under control. I'm trusting him. He's not trusting Jesus. It's easy to trust what you can see and the support that you have when it's been good. And God is asking us, are you going to depend and trust man with your life? Or are you going to depend and trust me with your life? And this is the day, this is the day we're living in where you're gonna have to make that decision. Are you gonna live and trust man with your life or are you gonna trust God with your life? This church thing and being a Christian is coming to the place where if you ain't real about this, if you're not living for God for real, you're gonna find yourself making decisions that you're gonna say, how could I have ever been a Christian and make that decision? And I'm trying to tell you, if you haven't been nurtured, you better start getting nurtured. So you will know who you are and whose you are that you will make the decisions that will please God and not please your flesh. We're going to be challenged. And the way our things work is, it's not till you find yourself way off then you realize what happened. And it's not easy. Mama Allen always say, when you backslide, man, it ain't easy. And sometimes you never get back to where you used to be. She always said that. I can remember many a day driving the car with her. You got to be careful because, man, when you backslide, it's not easy to get back to where you used to. Just think about it. Get back to where you used to be. Forget about going ahead. She's saying it's hard to get back to where you used to be. So not only is it hard to get back to where you used to be, but to go where God wants you to be, how hard is that? So we got to be careful that we don't get to the place of losing our position in God because of all the things that we go through. Here's where I'm at, and I'm closing. Moses made a decision to stick with his people, suffer with his people, as opposed to experience 
all the greatness and all the pleasures and all the things that he could have received in Egypt. But here is how the story ends. Forty years. Forty years. <laughs> Got to stop chasing immediacy. Forty years after Moses dodged and went up in the mountains and started making a family and everything like that, God met him at the burning bush. Moses, take off those shoes for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he told Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt because you're going to lead my people out of bondage. Forty years later, after that whole episode of him choosing to defend his brother. And so God sent him back to Egypt to deliver his people. He had to go stand before Pharaoh. I wonder if Moses would have choose to stay in Egypt. Would Moses have been the Pharaoh that another person, God, would have chosen to go stand before Moses and tell him, let God's people go. We don't know. Here is another thing that we don't understand. Moses would have never experienced lifting his hand and the Red Sea got parted and the people was able to cross over. Moses would have never experienced how God worked the ten plagues out and how all that stuff go. If you're going to experience the power and the miracle of God, you're going to have to go through some suffering. And I tell people all the time, the greater the suffering you've been through, the greater the anointing God will place upon your life. The more trouble you had in your life living for God, the greater God will be able to use you. You can't be used just being a manzy Pansy Christian, you can't really be used by God just barely going through it. We want to see miracles and we want to see signs and wonders. We want to see demonstration, but we're not making ourselves available to God for him to work through us. Every time God did great things, there had to be some things that went wrong. There had to be some bad things. There had to be some struggles. There had to be some hurt and some pain. There had to be some sickness for God to do the things he did. And so Moses, when he got chosen by God to go back, he experienced the glorious power of God. Are you wanting to experience the glorious power of God or you just want to try to hold on and make it in church? I'm here to tell you, holding on in church, trying to make it, won't get you there. Because holding on sooner or later, you're going to find yourself letting go a little bit. If you're not climbing and moving in God, you're going backwards. And so if we're going to move in God, we got to move forward. we got to go forward and press on because God is the one that's pulling us towards him. We can't let the pleasure of sin take us out. All of us struggle with the pleasure of sin. And all the pleasure of sin is not always sexual. It's just little things sometimes that we just need pleasure. I told you when I was in over in Europe... A glass of wine just seemed natural. Yeah, let me just take a glass of wine. That's a little pleasure to me. Was that a sin? Probably not. I don't know. 
But I'm not going to let myself get into... Let me tell you something. I'll let you in the, behind the curtain in some instance with me. There are some things I suffer purposely. It's almost like I'm trying to toughen up myself against pleasure. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm trying to prepare myself for what God wants to do. And there's some things I got to say, you know what? I'm just not doing that. You're like, what's the problem? Why? Because it's a way of me toughening up myself. It's my way of saying, you know what? I got to learn how to deal with suffering. I got to learn how to deal with struggles. I don't want everything to be good for me. Oh, that don't sound good, huh? Okay. I'm just telling you the truth. I want some struggles in my life. I want some challenges in my life. I want to know sometimes I have to just deal with some things that are hard. I don't want everything to be good for me. I don't want everything to be easy for me. Because if that's the case, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. I won't be able to deal. And so... Moses is the only person in the Bible that saw God face to face. All because he chose or chose to say, you know what? I'm rolling with God. I'm not going to live this good life. I'm rolling with God. Uh huh. You know what else? When Jesus transfigured before the disciples, they saw Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. The stuff that happened with Moses because he chose not the pleasures. <laughs> oh my God. I wish we will see it. I wish we will see that the immediate pleasures that we're choosing. God is saying you have no idea what the rewards would be if you choose me. You have no idea what the rewards will be if you would just do what I say do and not you just trying to satisfy your flesh and trying to satisfy your desires. If you would just choose what I say, you have no idea what I will do in your life. We have to stop letting the pleasures of sin rule us and start trusting God and start making decisions for God. Any questions? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you honor and praise tonight.